If you have your Bibles and want to turn, we're in John 16 today. We continue through the Gospel of John. We're right in the middle of Jesus' amazing last words to his believers before he goes to the cross for them, the disciples. John 16, and I don't necessarily want to make this a vocabulary lesson, but I've got a couple cool words. One is, I'm a pluvophile, confessing from the pulpit today, I am a pluvophile. That means I love rain. <laughs> oh, I'm so a little sad. I kind of would like to go outside and have service, but a part of me just wants it to rain today. Oh, you can throw things at me. That's a pluvophile. Yes, I'm one. The other is serendipity. And some of us say, oh, yeah, I know that word, but others don't. And you know, a lot of us live our lives hoping for serendipity. Like, I just hope by chance random good things will happen to me. Like, like, like I, I, I kind of don't like it when bad things happen, but I sure hope good things will happen and find that $100 bill on the sidewalk makes my day. Or I, I, I get a good turn and I, I start going, well, you know, that starts to be what we want. My hope for you and me today as we look at this text is that you will see how much more than serendipity your life is about. We are so far beyond hoping for random chance to help us. And into your life is in the hand of God. Right now, the whole thing. It's just amazing. And what Jesus does here, so important, these words, right? Before he goes to the cross, the very, man, if you're going to wait some words in the Bible, you'd wait these ones. This is like Jesus Christ who has waited thousands of years to come to earth and deliver people on the cross. And before he goes and does this amazing earth-shattering thing, he actually turns to his people and says, hey, I got a few things I want you to know. I mean, these are the things I want to know beyond everything. That doesn't mean we throw away the rest of the Bible. I love it all. It's all very excellent and good. But boy, if we're going to hear something, hear this. What Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says to those who trust him today, right here. It's amazing. You know, he started this. It's four chapters long. And in John, he started in chapter 13 with, you know, love me. And what love is, is the amazing wonder of how much I've loved you. <laughs> wow. And then chapter 14, where he says, you know, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Your only hope is to trust my way as he goes to the cross for them. And in 15, we saw last week and the week before how it says, hey, what you need to do is abide in me. Stay right there. Abiding. Like, that's not getting out and conquering. That's staying in this reality that it's all about Jesus and what he does for you and me. This is Jesus talking. And then there's today. Showing you and me how we're going to have joy. You know, you will have joy. You may look at me today and say, wait, you don't know me, Dax. I don't have joy. (laughs) Say, nope, I know it. Why do I know it? Because the Bible says it. It's coming. So not that you won't have sorrow, you will, but it will turn to joy. Not because of anything you're up to, not because of fortunate chance happening to you, but because, not like good karma, but because of what Jesus says today. I like to think I have... Um, I, I hear it's going away, but my favorite ride in Disneyland was always the Splash Mountain. It's the water ride. It's like you get in a log kind of thing, and it, and, and, and it pushes you around. And you can scream, you can go down, you can get afraid, you can laugh, you can do all these things, but you're on a ride, and you know where the end is. 
I sure hope you think that's what the Christian life is. It's not Toy Story Mania. You guys know Toy Story Mania? It's a little bit of a newer one. But that's another thing. You sit on and you shoot things. It's like the our whole arcade style thing where you're shooting things, you're shooting things. And what I care about is I'm shooting things. Of, am I beating the guy next to me and getting a high score? Sometimes I think that's what we think God's doing. He's got you in Toy Story Mania. Checking out if your score's good enough. Instead, we're on Splash Mountain. It's way better. I hear they're taking it away. But anyway, right? I'm on the ride, and we're going to have some ups and downs. There's going to be dips. There's going to be things. But you're on the ride, and you know where you're going. It's not just the drop. It's the end. And it's fantastic. Okay, I want you to see that with me today. I want you to see it as we look. So, so, And sometimes our perspective is just not what it should be, but we need to be pulled back into that idea that he's got us all the way through. So here we are, beyond serendipity. First, I want to talk about advantages. Because here's the thing. You've got to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Because the whole thing we're talking about is Jesus Christ, our Savior, he's going to the cross, and, and, and he tells them before he goes, like, wouldn't that be a bad thing? He's leaving. So he says it this way. He says, I did not say these things to you. Chapter 16, verse 4. I did not say these things to you, Jesus says to his disciples, from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Right, I want you to consider this with me. Like Jesus says he's going away. How can that be good? Right? Like think about being one of the disciples. Jesus has chosen them. He's developed a relationship with them. He's done miracles. They've been with him while he fed 5,000 plus people. They've been with him while he healed people and he cured the sick and he did all these amazing things. He's like Superman. And then he says, you know what? I'm taking off. Uh... That's not good. You know, it's, isn't it right for them to have sorrow fill their heart? I think of kids who are around a dad, and the dad says, you know, I'm leaving forever. Uh, what? Crying is appropriate. Don't go. And then Jesus says this. He says to him this very interesting thing. You don't see rightly. Look what he says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to send the helper, right? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the advantage of him going away. He's going to send the Spirit. And, and, and I don't know about you. you. You know these things if you've read the Bible. Does that seem like a great advantage to you? Okay, I'll give you a choice. You could have Jesus here today to hang out with you for the rest of your life, or you could have the Holy Spirit. I'm picking Jesus. I mean, honest, right? Jesus, I can see, I can touch, I can know, I can follow, I can all these things. Jesus is right there. I, mean, I want Jesus. I love Jesus. And he says, well, I'm taking off, but it's really good for you that I go because I'm giving the Spirit. Hey, why don't we just stay with door A and keep Jesus? Well, rather than a spirit, I can't see. 
Right? So this is a fantastic, it's an amazing event that Jesus goes to heaven and sends the Spirit to help us. And even though it doesn't sound like much, we don't, here's our problem. I don't understand the depth of what Jesus is saying. Right? So we've got to get this. We've got to say, okay, well, I, I want to know. It's like, so there's two main things then Jesus lays it out for him because I think he knows, hey, it's really advantageous that I go and I send the Spirit, but there's two things I want you really to get about what the Spirit's going to do. And honestly, for you and me, if I poked you right now, I'm not sure you'd get the two. I want you to get it. It's amazing. The first is towards the world. The second is for us who believe. So let's look. It says in verse 8. And when he comes, Jesus says, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So what does the Spirit do again? He convicts. Now, super important, super, don't get, don't get this wrong. Who does he convict? The world, right? That's what it says. That's what it says there. If you go back to verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world. This is talking about the world. Not you, Christian, not you trusting in Jesus. This is actually him convicting the world. I mean, convicting you only so much as you're in the world has no convicting to do to us in Christ. It's kind of surprising because most people I talk to, if I came up to you and said, hey, what's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? So he's convicting me of sin. Do you, do you trust Jesus? Yeah. But the Holy Spirit's convicting me. What, what's that mindset? That mindset is the mindset that says what the Holy Spirit's doing is sticking me on the, 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 the Toy Story ride. I get stuck on the Toy Story ride, and then the Holy Spirit God, convicts me to get a high score. I get rid of all my sin, I get all the good stuff, I do good, I do fine, and, and then, no, 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 wait, that, that's not what this is saying. The, what this is saying is the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Convicted me, I was in the world, and what did it convict me of sin? Why? Why? Look, look, don't, don't miss this. Convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in me. Doesn't say convicts the world of sin because they're doing really, really bad things. Does convicts the world of sin because they don't believe. How are those two things connected? Convicting the world of sin, believing in Jesus. Well, if you believe in Jesus, all your sins are what? Forgiven. Do I need more conviction of my sin? No. You're forgiven. So he needs to convict the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus. Their sins remain. They're standing. They need to know. Why? Because if you get conviction of your sin and you, you, you nail down every other th- possibility of you getting any release from your sin on your own, the world has no righteousness. And, and, and there you go. Then your only hope is what? A savior outside of you. I know one of those. He died on a cross for you and me. So if we believe in Jesus... The blood of Christ cleanses me of all sin. I don't need conviction of sin. I'm out of the whole animal. I, I'm into this idea of, of, of what Jesus has done for me. But if I don't, that's an amazing thing. Why is it an amazing thing? Because Jesus is one person. He came to one area in time and they wrote about him, but he was one person. He's not able to be physically at the same time. I, I guess he could, but he did it to be like 3,000 Jesuses and appear in all places over the world. He just came to Israel. 
He didn't appear in China. He didn't get born in Thailand. He didn't come to America, where there was no America when Jesus came, right? So, but the Spirit goes all over the world with what Jesus has done and convicts the world that they have no way out of their sin. That's what he did to me. I think that's what he did to you if you trust in Jesus because the only hope we have is what Jesus did for us, right? It's an amazing and good thing that he convicts the world of sin because in we believe in Jesus, our sin is forgiven. That's the ride, right? To me, that's kind of the entrance to the ride. It's like I, I'm on the ride. It's, it's, I see that it's only Christ and I'm, I, I trust him and I realize he's, he, he, he's, he's the... The channel's there. He's taking me on this ride because I have no hope of my own. Pretty amazing. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin to drive them to the only hope that exists. That's the cross. To get on the ride. Like his convicting the world about righteousness, right? See, he said the same thing. He said, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. He's still talking about convicting the world. This whole thing is convicting the world. How does the Holy Spirit convict the world about righteousness? See, the the world thinks they're working on being good and climbing high and keeping the Ten Commandments or whatever way the world interprets the law. I I mean, you can argue over whether loving your neighbor is, is like tolerating their gender choice. I don't think that's loving your neighbor. Some people do. Or or loving your neighbor is is is, is protecting the newborn. You can argue over what it looks like, but the world wants you to do it however they define it. They want you to be righteous in their following whatever rules they have, and, and, and you buy in. We have our own clans about our lists of what we think are good and right, and we'll stamp them. This is the right way to do it. This is the good way to do it. I'm part of this group that thinks this is the right. So, so, and we start to think that Christianity is just another one of those subgroups. No, because the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts the world all of us in the world of righteousness, meaning what? You don't have any. You've got none. That's what it's doing, right? Holy Spirit's doing that. Because every good deed is so seeded through with self-righteousness and self-orientation and pride, it's actually evil and it takes the Holy Spirit to convince them, and by them I mean us and outside of Christ, Holy Spirit works in our heart to open our eyes to even our very best things. I get, I, I can stick up Isaiah. Here's Isaiah 64. We've all become like one who's unclean. All our righteous deeds like a polluted garment. This is a very famous verse, right? Because polluted garment sounds like a really yucky thing, and actually it's even worse. It's literally a word for menstrual rags. One of dirty pads. Can I say that in church? I just did. It's that bad. It's in the Bible. Your good deeds are like polluted garments. You don't want to touch them. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. We do do good deeds in Christ because Christ is righteous and everything through him is good and true. And, and, and But it's not someone like those are separate things, right? It's not like, oh, my things I do over here, I'm going to do them in the world and God's going to approve of them. He's not because they're not good enough. So there I am stuck. That's the work of the Spirit. That instead of me being convinced that I'm good enough, I'm certainly better than that guy over there or that person there or you there. Man, I, I, that's good because God's going to grade on a curve. He's not grading on a curve. All of our righteousness is garbage. 
So the Holy Spirit comes in. He opens our eyes to the truth of that. Where do we end up? Needing a Savior. That's what it's talking about, right? I don't think I did the last one. Let me do the last one before we go. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, right? You see that, right? The conviction is not that their judgment is coming. They already know that. People are going to know deep in their heart. You know, there might be an evaluation at the end, but they really think their good deeds and bad deeds are kind of way out, like one of those scale things, the justice, and just see which one's heavier. And they think, well, that's okay. My good deeds are a little higher than my bad deeds. That's not what's talking about here. He says the ruler of the world is judged. That's Satan. The Spirit comes in and convicts people that the world is wrong. The accusation accuses everyone. The world itself is upside down and hypocritical, and there's no escape. The world's going to be overthrown. There's no hope here in this system of merit and good and advancing that we all buy into in our flesh. Try harder, climb more, run faster. I mean, the devil says the fertile ground, because as soon as you say, hey, you need to run faster, the idea is you haven't run fast enough. No such thing. I can tell you, oh yeah, okay, what you need to do is to really try harder. So you come back and you've tried harder. Well, okay, I'm going to ask you to run around the church. And you do it and it takes you 11 minutes. Say, you know what, you got to go faster. So you come back next year, you did it in 10 minutes. Boy, you know what, that's great. Go faster. Is there any ever end to that? Is there any standard by which you've actually made it? The answer is no. You never run fast enough. So there's always someone out there going, you know what? You haven't run fast enough. What's that called, that idea that you haven't done enough? It's called an accusation. Who's the person in the Bible who's the accuser? That's the devil. What does the Bible say about Christians? You flip over to Romans 8 and it says, there's therefore now no what? condemnation. What does that mean? That means every accusation is laid to rest. How can that be? Because I'm not running around the church fast enough to actually know I'm not. Because I'm trusting in the one who has perfectly. And he says, I've got you. Trust me. Whole different pathway, whole different deal. No accusation. The devil has nothing to say to me because there's nothing to say to Jesus about what Jesus did. He's God. So, so, so you see the, the, the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts us that, you know what, this whole system, and so you, you come to the Lord, you come and say, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. This is where it's at. Why did I do that? The Holy Spirit did it. He testified to me. He opened my eyes. He opened yours too. That whole way is not the way. And Jesus, he did it one by one. He did it with 12 men. He did so amazing. He's God. And then he goes to heaven. So the Holy Spirit comes to the whole world. That's great, because I'm very far from Jerusalem. I'm very far from ever having been able to see the person of Jesus, even if I watch The Chosen. That's not actually Jesus on the screen. Cool, by the way. Right? Okay, so so amazing what the Holy Spirit's doing. And, and, and there it is, and then I have this spirit convicting people that it's, 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 it's just amazing. Jesus did the work. 
He's going to the cross even right after he says this to his people. And the Spirit's going to come and convict people. The system they're in, the works righteousness that pervades every religion and every corner of life, it's a dead end. So, so don't say, don't say. Don't break the channel. Don't get confused. Don't say things. Don't say the Holy Spirit is mainly convicting you of post-conversion sin. Like somehow the idea is that the Holy Spirit is really about making sure you're a better you. No, the Holy Spirit is about making sure you receive and stay and abiding in the love of Christ. That's what he's doing. The goal is not to try and get you to sin a little less. Like somehow, yeah, Jesus paid for it all, but it would be really nice if we could minimize that payment. No, his blood is enough. He's convicting the world. Their whole system is so messed up. The only hope you have is Jesus. And, and then the Holy Spirit's working on us, right? He, he is, when I say us, I mean the believer, the one who actually trusts Jesus. What, what is he doing? Hey, that's what he's going to talk about right here. Because Jesus says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's going to the cross for them. They're going to have their eyes open to the wonderful sacrifice he's going to make for them and for us. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what does the Holy Spirit do for you and me? He guides us. Right? That's the word. By giving you what is Jesus's. What is Jesus's? Forgiveness. Right? Absolution. This glorifies Jesus to give you what is Christ. This huge, fantastic upside downness. I, I, I think, I think it's so bad that Jesus is leaving them. He's the Son of God. But actually what's happening is he's going to heaven and then, and then, and then the Holy Spirit's gonna give the actual goods of what Jesus did on the cross to people. To me. To you. Real forgiveness, right? The world needs conviction, but, but what you and I need is assurance. Because that's what Jesus is doing. Don't get those backwards, right? It's not that the world needs assurance, you guys, it's not so bad. No, it's really bad. The law condemns you, you are condemned. The, 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 the world needs conviction, but the, the believer needs assurance, not conviction. How terrible is it that someone comes up to you and you trust in Jesus and you say, wow, you know, I'm such a bad sinner and I still struggle with my sin. And boy, I sinned this morning and I, I just feel bad about it because I know sin is bad. And someone comes up to you and says, you know what? If you continue sinning, you're not going to heaven. That's called robbing you of your assurance. Because your answer should be, are you kidding? The blood of Jesus covers me forever. But instead where I go is, oh, no. Maybe what God wants me to do is really get out of the sin or I'm not really his because I do stand condemned because I can't seem to get out of this habitual sin that I'm in. So I must not be Jesus's. And all of a sudden, I who am a believer who have trusted in Jesus and being pushed off of Jesus to think it's more about me. Oh, how terrible. Instead, the Holy Spirit's the guide, right? This, this assurance. Take your 
current situation for a minute. Think through this just for a minute with me. So say, for example, I'll just take an example. Say, say I've got arthritis in my knee. And it's terrible arthritis. I'm thinking of getting a knee um, replacement. I'm not, but if I was. So think about that with me as, as a little trial, right? It's just an example of whatever pain or irritation or real sadness you have, a poor relationship, a broken marriage, whatever. But take a deep pain that doesn't seem to go away, and you try and handle it yourself. You take medicine, you go to the doctor, you do all these things. It doesn't seem to go away. So you pray, and you ask God to take it away, and nothing happens. And so, well, you think, why isn't he responding? So someone comes to you and asks you what you say to them. Why isn't God taking this away? I mean, you could think of some reasons. Maybe it's because he's disciplining me. Maybe there's sin in my life somewhere, and God's having to discipline me because I'm doing something bad in another area of my life, and he's having to hurt me. Or, or maybe it's because I'm not asking right. Maybe I didn't say the right words. Maybe I haven't developed enough the depth of faithfulness to God that he actually listens to me now. You see the maybes start to build up. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. What's, what are those maybes called? We should give them a name. They're called doubt. Maybe I'm not in the right space. Right? I'm not, I'm not doing something right. That, that doubt is a lack of assurance. Confidence. Confidence in what? That I'm actually on the right ride that I'm actually floating along the channel that's the only channel to go, that actually God has me, and, 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 and there's a dip, or as there are up, and as there are turn, and as there are all the things in your life, that all of a sudden I'm questioning, and maybe I took a channel that's not part of the ride. You get robbed of assurance. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The work of the Spirit is to come in and guide you to take what is Christ, that he died for you, that he loves you, that his blood on the cross was enough, that you're adored by the King right now, and to take it and give it to you. And give it to you and give it by the word of a preacher, by the word of a friend, by a person you come to church. This is why you need to come to church so other people can remind you, hey, the love of Christ for you is fabulous and true. Even though your leg still hurts. Because, because what? I know the end of the ride. I know where we're going. Right? That's what we're talking about. So that knee pain's not a sign that he's mad at you. It has nothing to do with his love for you. He declares he has you forever. There's no smidge of wonder whether he's for you or not. How can I say that so strongly, Dex? How can you say that so strong? I can because the Bible, this is what we're talking about, what Jesus says today. He says, I am for you. Abide in my love. Don't go out thinking, I don't love you. That's what we're talking about. We live by this promise that he's totally for us forever. That certainly doesn't mean we have no trouble. That certainly doesn't mean we have no sadness. We have it. In fact, he said, you're crying now, but it's going to turn to joy, right? We need some perspective. So let's get a little perspective before, just very briefly before we end. Because Jesus goes there in verse 16. He says, a little while you'll see me no longer. Again, a little while, you'll see me. And so some of the disciples said, wait, wait, what is this that he says to us? A little while, you'll not see me. Then again, a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. And, and, and so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We, we don't know what he's talking about. 
I love this. They're totally confused. <laughs> Just like us. What does this mean? Tell us more. And so it's not quite there and getting it. And we ah, so like them. And, and Jesus adores them. They don't get it. And he doesn't go like, well, just go figure it out. He tells them. So Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while you'll not see me again, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Okay, don't, don't just pass over this like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Jesus on the cross, but then he, he's going to rise from the dead. And so they were sad and then they're, they're happy. No, no, get what Jesus is actually pushing at. He's saying, I know you're going to sorrow and lament and it's okay. But I know the end. It's going to change into joy. The world looks at you right now and the world looks at how as a Christian and you're putting all your trust in Jesus and you're not like, like, jumping on the climb the ladder, shape up super well thing, and they laugh at you. But there's an end, you know. Your sorrow will turn to joy. There's a perspective change that you and I have in Christ. Things are not what they seem. Your eyes are not right. You can't judge. You have to trust Jesus. The truth is you and I will weep and lament. And that's because Jesus, in this scene, Jesus, their hope is going to die. He's leaving them. But in our reality, it happens the same way, right? We don't think, I can't see Jesus. I don't always think he's near me. But I'm on the ride. The world's going to rejoice. They they think this message is bogus. The idea that Jesus actually loves you and has you, even though you're a piece of work. Yeah, yeah, no, they don't like that. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy because Jesus lives and because every single promise is true. The message is true. And the evidence is he's going to rise from the dead. Did he rise from the dead? Okay, come on. Amen. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That means every single promise that he made is true. And he said he's going to prepare a place for you. And I don't care what your life is like right now or what struggle you're in. You know that he's coming again for you. It's the most amazing thing ever. Who reminds you? The Holy Spirit does. And Jesus says it's going to end well. Don't believe the world ever that it's not ending well, that you're not in him. If you just trust what Jesus has said, here's the image Jesus gives. He gives an image for you and me to think about. It's giving birth. When a woman's giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. You get it? Okay, if you're a guy, you better say no. <laughs> right? I don't understand that kind of pain. I've seen lots of it. I delivered lots of babies. I saw lots of incredible pain, even with epidurals, you know. But that kind of pain is crazy bad. And you're like, why would God ever allow that kind of pain? And I think he did it for this image. Because after that, you've got a baby. What the amazing wonder for your whole life. Amazing. You can't even imagine the blessing. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. This is like even our time right here in the Holy Spirit's telling us it's coming. It's coming. The baby's coming. It's going to be so fantastic. You're going to be with Jesus forever. You're going to see him face to face. You're going to be by his side. You're going to rule and reign with him. All these things the Bible says. Uh, 
I still got my knee pain. Life isn't going very well. I don't seem to get better. People in the world out there, they're advancing. I just seem to be static. Why isn't the Holy Spirit making me conquer? Because this is the message. It's coming. You're on the ride, right? That That's where he goes. So also he says, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You're really mine, Jesus says, right? I'm really doing this for you. It's the most amazing event ever. It's been about simple loyalty to me, and there and there it is. By the way, this ask and give is a statement of God's mindset towards you. Kind of what's He knows you best. He knows what's for your joy. He's saying, you get to ask now. This amazing thing. You, you have to see this. We're going late, but I just, ah, uh, you gotta see this. That Jesus ends this way about how the amazing truth that you're loved, not by Jesus. By the Father. So will you see it with me just really fast as we close? I've said these things he says to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I won't any longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. So he's been using labor. He's been using these ideas of asking in his name even. But then he gets more specific about how incredibly blessed you are that the Father is going to have an attitude towards you. That day you'll ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. That's how I totally think. That I pray and Jesus kind of steps in. And the Father's like, I would never answer that Dax guy because he's too bad. But Jesus steps in and says, well, he's one of mine. Do it. And Jesus says, I don't do that anymore. What does he do? He says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. It's like, wow. It's it's one thing for the Son to come into the world and interact with some guys and do some cool things, but Jesus says, you don't get it. This is what you need to do. The Father loves you. The Father himself loves you. This is so different. I think of God as kind of like the big judge up there. He's the one that kind of looks down and not sure about all these beings that aren't doing what they should do. And Jesus is kind of standing in the gap with a shield, kind of shielding me. But now he says, no, 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 that's not what it is. This amazing thing that the Father himself adores you. Wow, God Almighty. (coughs) I can ask and I can go right into his presence. How would I ever know this? I know it because Jesus says it here. Just because we trust him. We've come to know Jesus. We trust that Jesus came from God. We love Jesus because we see his incredible love for us. We're not trying to use Jesus to get better. We're not focused on, on our sin or our nakedness or us at all. I'm just hearing the word that the Spirit reminds me of, that Jesus Christ is for me. And I'm loved by God Almighty, the unknowable God, the God no one's ever seen at any time, the deep maker of everything. Okay, we need to end. I, 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 but, but I hope you see the depth of this word from Jesus. Don't trust your eyes. Trust his word. The spirit comes not convicting you, Christian, of sin, because your sin is forgiven in Christ as a Christian. Convicting the world of sin so they get to Christ. 
The Spirit's guiding you and me, pushing us into assurance that even with us falling apart, Jesus has us in the deep, deep wonder that us right now are loved by the Father. That's like Hebrews 13 says. It says that you should be content with what you have because he will never leave you or forsake you. His word to you and me. So this is beyond serendipity. Everything we're talking about is not, boy, I hope some random good thing happens to you. It's the idea that you have entered into a ride, and the ride has a destination and a conclusion, and all the water is controlled by God. And every dip that goes down, or every climb that happens, or every turn that turns you around, at the end, we know the end, we're with Jesus. He's coming for you. It's amazing. Don't you dare move. Let's pray.